hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are not, no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to them, they said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have become so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have, been, who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Alright, so Jesus had a lot of people following him. The Pharisees who are trying to find a way to discredit Jesus ask him a controversial question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? There are several things that maybe they were trying to, to do with Jesus in this. For one thing, the Jews, the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders disagreed a lot on this subject. Uh, they, they had debates among themselves. And so any way Jesus goes with this, it's kind of like a minefield. You know, he's going to make somebody mad. He's not going to agree with somebody's viewpoint on, you know, under what circumstances you could divorce. Also, remember that in Galilee, Herod Antipas is in control, and he'd already beheaded one uh, uh, preacher for condemning his marriage to his brother's wife that he had no business to. And so maybe they'd like to get Jesus in trouble with Herod too, I don't know. But they come up and ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Which is a pretty good question even in our day. And I love how Jesus answers questions. You know, uh, we might answer the question yes, no, or whatever, but what does Jesus do? God's an explanation. And the explanation relates to what? God's marriage. What God did and said in the beginning. He says, have you not read, and now he's going to cite from Genesis 2. Jesus' answers always go back to the scriptures and always cite what God's will is. So he says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Jesus is looking at the original marriage pattern that God instituted. And particularly thinking about how God created the first human pair. Who did God make first? Adam. And after making Adam, God determined that it was not a good thing for him to be alone. Now, if God had intended for men to be alone, he would have created Adam, and that would have been that. You know, you got Adam, you got a man. If he had intended a man to have many wives, he would have created a lot of different women for Adam. He didn't do that. If he had intended homosexuality, 
he would have created two men. He didn't do that. What did he do? One man, one female. Yeah. He made Eve, one man, one woman, and he joined those two together. And he gave instructions about how that works. The man and, and the woman leave their parents and they, they, they're joined to each other and they become one. God's view of marriage is that man and woman are no longer two independent beings. They become one unit. They're, they're joined together by God. It's, it's a new commitment to each other. Well, if that's true, what's the basic Bible teaching on divorce? It's wrong. Yeah. Why? Because <laughs> God made it from the beginning to be the two of them for life. Yes. God joined them together for life for a man to try to undo what God did isn't right. You know, so Jesus is so good at going back and seeing the basic principle and the basic issue. When you go all the way back to creation, you can tell God intended for a man and a woman to marry and for them to be together for life. That's That was God's basic pattern and plan. So, if they ask the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Jesus said, well, haven't you read what God did? <laughs> what God joined together, man should not separate. That doesn't satisfy them. What do they bring up? An exception, or a, uh, what they think is a, an out. Or a, yes, and what's that? The law of Moses allowed, or they say, allowed them to allow the man to give a woman a certificate of divorce and send her away. Yes, there was that passage in Deuteronomy 24 where Moses said something about a man who divorces his wife by giving her a certificate and sending her away. And so they see Moses as kind of the patron of divorce. You know, he talked about, you know, divorce over there. And, uh, you know, Jesus responds by saying, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it has not been this way. You know, are there any teachings in the Bible that tell you what to do if you do wrong? Yes. Quite a few of them, aren't there? You know, uh, for example, in Exodus and in uh, Deuteronomy, there are some instructions about what to do if you steal something. Depending on what you steal, you have to pay it back with various sorts of penalties, etc. And there's some laws about that. Now, when God gives laws about what to do when you steal, it, does that mean that stealing is permitted by God? No. You know, almost every law gives some kind of instruction as to what happens when the law is broken. We should never understand that to be permission to break it. But that's what they were doing with what Moses said. Moses did give some laws. Really, Moses' law in Deuteronomy 24 is that if a man divorces his wife and she remarries, whether the second husband divorces her or dies, still she can never go back to her first husband. 
That's Deuteronomy 24. That's what Moses said. Because she's been defiled by her marriage to the second husband. And so she's not allowed to ever go back to her first husband if she is remarried after being divorced. That's all Moses said. Moses didn't allow it. He didn't disallow it. He, he assumes it and, and explains you know, what God's purpose is in that situation. Um, but Jesus goes back to creation for what he says in verse 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. That was radical teaching. You know, because divorce was really prevalent in the first century. And he's saying if a divorced person remarries, they're committing adultery unless they divorced their partner for betraying them. That's basically what that said. That, even today, seems wrong. You know, it seems like that, well, you know, if, if this marriage didn't work out, divorce them and, you know, God wouldn't want you to be in an unhappy relationship or he'd want you to find true fulfillment or God would want this, that, or the other thing. And so even in our day, we think, well, you know, not in every case. <laughs> but, but Jesus is very clear. If you divorce your wife, uh, except if she's betraying you and you marry another, you're committing adultery. So that really demands that we rethink love and marriage and see it as a binding commitment where God joins us together, not as something that we can just sort of take or leave, we can discard when we want to. Comments and thoughts to that point. You hear people say today in the world that you know, the Bible's outdated that the law that was written 2,000 years ago surely can't apply to a modern society. Yet Jesus, 2,000 years ago, went back to a law that was written three or 4,000 years before that. And it was still applying at his time, and it's still applying today. So, you know, if it didn't get outdated in the first 4,000 years or whatever, why would it have outdated itself in the last 2,000? Well, you know, we haven't really outgrown our creation. <laughs> you know, God still created us. He made us the way we are. And he, have, he has every right to tell us how we should function. And, uh, you know, we may have uh, grown so prideful, we've decided we can get along very well without the Lord. But, but he's still the creator, and he still has the right to make the rules. And, and when it's all said and done, God knows what's best. I mean, some things require just trust and faith that God does know what he's doing. You know, and, and you could ask this question. If people followed exactly what God said, would things be better in the world or worse in the world? Better. Way better. What if every human couple respected God's laws about marriage? Wow. Wouldn't things be a whole lot better? The divorce. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, God's will is the right thing. Now, granted, man messes things up and complicates matters, but the only solution is to go back to what God says. Think about a couple of things just to clarify. What if I don't like my wife, uh, she's not, she doesn't please me for whatever reason, 
And I know it's wrong to remarry, so I'm not going to remarry, but I am going to divorce her, even though I'm never going to remarry. Is that okay? No. Why not? Same passage. <laughs> yeah. It's not adultery to divorce her, but it is wrong because I'm separating what God joined together that he told me not to do. So it's, it's actually wrong to divorce even if I don't remarry. Again, assuming that I'm not divorcing because of betrayal. Um, You're breaking your vows that you made to that person. So that's yeah. really a sin of dishonesty, not so much a sin of adultery. Yes, you're right about that because I promised that I would stick with Sandra for better or for worse in sickness and in health and a few other things that I don't remember at the moment. But, uh, you know, uh, that was, uh, I made that before a couple hundred people and the Lord. And if I divorce her, then I'm just going back and reneging on the commitment I made. That's exactly right. I mean, you know, there's various ways to be a liar. You know, you can just, you know, invent something and tell it. Or you can make yourself a liar by saying something and then turning around and acting in such a way that it makes you a liar. Still wrong to be a liar. How did the disciples react to this? The relationship of man with his wife is like this. It is better not to marry. <laughs> Why did they say that? But they must have been thinking, well, this is impossible. Yeah. <laughs> they really didn't want to be stuck with a life sentence, you know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, man, in this case, better not to marry. Well, is there any, is there any validity in that? In, in the sense that were you to marry, you know, the wrong person, have the wrong kind of relationship, it'd be a whole lot better to stay single than to be married for life to somebody who really not a good deal. So in some ways, they're right. It does mean we ought to reflect more carefully before we get married. I mean, just jumping into marriage is a frightening prospect, you know, in, in view of how permanent God intends for it to be. Now, Jesus said, you know, there are some people that it's better not to marry indeed. He said, you know, there are eunuchs who, you know, were born eunuchs, and there were some that men made eunuchs. There are eunuchs who make themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. There's some people who just decide to stay single. It, you know, we shouldn't just take it for granted that everybody's going to get married. Or that everybody should get married. Granted, normally they do, and that was God's typical scenario. But were there ever any good people in the Bible who didn't marry? Why? Jesus. Jesus, he's a pretty good person. And he didn't marry. And apparently the Apostle Paul. And, and, and Paul even says some things in 1 Corinthians 7 that talks about how there are some advantages to being single. So, you know, yeah, there are some people who really not marrying would be a, a good option. Um, but if we do marry then we have to think about we're marrying for life. And a lot of people marry for the wrong reasons, too. Yeah, like what? Green card. Green card, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, what else? Money. Yeah, money. M money. you got to live with the guy after that, you know? 
didn't have to do that, maybe the money would be uh, interesting, but wow. What are other reasons people marry that aren't very smart? Love, lust. Yeah, just a physical desire. Or how about, oh man, she looks cool. You know, I mean, you ever seen any, you know, 80-year-old women that really still looked cool? You know, sooner or later, the, you know, wrinkles are going to come and she's not going to be quite what she used to be. If I only like her because, man, she's awful pretty, what am I going to do when she's not so awful pretty anymore? Not like her anymore. You know, what, sh what would be the right reason why? Two very important things, and you want to be companions to each other. Yeah, and you're willing to make that commitment. There was a there was a guy. I thought this was pretty cool. There was a guy in the church in Athens, Alabama, where I was from '91 to '93. He is surely dead by now. Uh, he was <laughs> not a young man at that time. Uh, even by my standards now, he was not a young man. But it was so cool. He, uh, I don't know, he'd been married for probably 60 years or 70 or something. And his wife was in a nursing home. She had Alzheimer's or dementia of some sort, profoundly. Oh, she couldn't talk. I don't know who she recognized. I mean, she was really bad off. He lived in the nursing home in the room with her to take care of her. He fed her, he bathed her, he pretty much did everything himself with her because he wanted to. You know, he was like 85, but he was in good health and, and pretty strong. And, and we'd go and visit them, and he'd just talk about, oh, how beautiful she was and what a wonderful wife she's been, and you know, and how blessed he was to be able to be there with her and to take care of her. And I mean, sometimes people say things like that and you think, yeah, you're just trying to convince yourself. But he convinced me that that's the way he felt, <laughs> you know. I mean, I think he just really was so happy to be able to care for her and to have found this place where he could be there for her. Now, you know, you think on the one hand, oh, what a drag. But think about the other side of that. What a wonderful thing to be married to somebody you know is going to be with you until you die is going to unselfishly give themselves to you. Even if worse comes to worse, and it's not a very satisfying relationship. I thought it was really beautiful, the commitment that he showed, and just that attitude, that devotion, that tenderness to somebody who practically wasn't even there, you know. But, but he was just very happy to be taking care of her and, and just continuing to love you know her. And and if we have that kind of commitment, yes, sometimes it could be, you know, it could mean sacrificing, you know, a lot of stuff. But but what a blessing to know that somebody will always be there for you and love you as long as they can, as long as they live. I thought that was really cool. So yeah, some people shouldn't marry. But on the other hand, there are some really great things about marrying if we do it wisely. Comments and thoughts on all that? So I don't 
you know, really want to open a can of worms or like get go into this in detail. But I guess my question is, um, so you mentioned, you know, it's okay to divorce. But I don't know that you said this exactly verbatim, so correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's okay to divorce for unfaithfulness or whatever. So was this an exception? Was this another one of those exceptions here in verse 9 that, you know, maybe you're not going to commit, commit another sin of immorality? Or was it really okay? To, is it really okay to divorce for, for unfaithfulness? Or is God's real desire that you forgive and you continue to maintain that relationship? Okay, good question. Uh, verse 9 says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. That's an interesting way to put it. Because you've got a basic statement that you have in a lot of passages. You know, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. But when he says except for, he is setting aside a particular case that does not follow the rule. If the rule is whoever divorces and remarries commits adultery, then the exception is that the one who divorces and remarries under these circumstances does not commit adultery. Otherwise, it's not an exception. That's the force of an exception. Jesus does not further comment. That phrase, except for immorality, in this verse is everything we know about that situation. But we understand from that that it's not adultery if I divorce for sexual immorality and remarry because it's an exception. So if, this doesn't necessarily justify divorce even for unfaithfulness though? It, it, well, it's saying that divorcing for unfaithfulness and remarrying is not to commit adultery. Right. So if he gives the exception to the rule, we would understand it as permitting, not not condemning, divorcing and remarrying. If you well, divorce what about, so what about like Deuteronomy 24 then? Because we just said, you know, the, the certificate of divorce was the exception. They still committed the sin, but then God provided, you know, the means. I mean, are those not? They're not exactly. Look at Deuteronomy 24 a second. Now, granted, in the Old Testament, God did not really come down against divorce. But in Deuteronomy 24, if you, and, and the King James mistranslates this, but most of the other translations do it right. He says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he's found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house, and she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, and if the latter husband turns against her and writes her certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies and took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away is not allowed to take her again to be his wife since she has been defiled. So really it just sets up a scenario and says he can't go back to her. This passage says by, by means of an accept clause that divorcing and remarrying, if you divorce for fornication, is not adultery. Yeah, and I'm with you there. I guess my question is, you know, we always use Matthew 19:9 to justify divorce in a situation where one of the parties has been unfaithful. And my question is, is Jesus really doing that? Is he justifying divorce, or is he just going the next step and saying, if you do divorce because of that, then you know, you're not committing another sin, you're not committing sexual immorality, 
than if you if you did remarry or something. Does that make sense? I might not be clear. Well, to to join those together, whoever divorces for uh, whoever divorces except for immorality and marries another commits adultery. I mean, if he meant to say, "Don't divorce," that would it's it's sinful to divorce. But if you do divorce and sin, you're not committing another sin if you get remarried, if you divorce for fornication. I think that's a cumbersome way to say that. I think he could have left it much clearer if he was still trying to condemn the divorce. I think by putting the accept in there, we would understand that those two things together, divorcing for fornication and remarrying, are permissible. That, that would be my take, that it would be difficult to get out of that statement that Jesus meant to say it's still wrong to divorce but it's okay to remarry if you do. That'd be my feeling. There is no Bible passage though that commands divorce for fornication. It is not that if your spouse runs around on you, you must divorce them. Or some people say you're automatically divorced from them. That is not true. You, I believe this passage would give that, that op option without sin, but certainly taking them back is another option. It might depend on the circumstances. You, because you have some situations in which, at least from our perspective, we could see a rationale behind why it would be important to divorce. I was in a situation, knew a situation quite well one time, where a man had, had I think, three affairs already with, uh, you know, while he was married. His wife knew about each of them. He repented each time. She forgave him. But after the third time, she said, if you do this again, I'm divorcing you. And he did it again, and she divorced him. I thought that made a lot of sense. <laughs> you know, because she wasn't going to just keep sharing him with a series of people that he, you know, was with. Uh, I, I believe this passage would authorize that. But I don't think that it, it is commanding divorce for Other questions or comments? There's a lot of things you can think about. It's amazing how much rests on except for fornication. You know, that's, that's all we know about that exception. Um, what about if, like, I know like a lot of people, their like relationship will be good and they'll be together for a long time and then they get married and the person changes and often the relationship becomes abusive. What happens if you're in, abusi if you're in an abusive marriage? Well, I would recommend, if it's physically abusive to an intolerable point, contact the authorities. I mean, somebody, something needs to be done legally about that. But biblically, God doesn't give the right to divorce, not even in that situation. Which is a very good reason to know the person really, really well before we marry him. I mean, it's amazing how lighthearted sometimes people you know, you see these people every once in a while that, you know, they knew each other for a couple of weeks and, well, we're just going to get married. And they do, right then. Well, sometimes that works. But, whoa, that is risking an awful lot on knowing the person not very well for a pretty short time. You know, well, other thoughts? Verse 9 also is answering their... I mean, he pretty much answered the question in verse 6. 
Yes. You know, they asked the question, hey, is it is it okay yes. to divorce for any reason? And he said, no. That's, I mean, he quoted it and said, the answer is no. And then they come back, well, well we found this exception back here in the law. Is it, isn't this, doesn't that make it okay? So then he expounded a little more on that and said, no, it doesn't make it okay. Uh, it's still, I say to you, <laughs> right. Moses allowed it. I don't know if maybe that's generous even, but permitted, I guess, was, yeah. But I say... And Jesus, going back to the original intention, the way God made man and woman. And, and almost his answer in 9 kind of brings in their, uh, you know, speaks more directly to their thinking with what they were doing. Yes. You know, he answered the question, no, it's not okay. And besides, what you're doing, getting divorced and marrying someone else, right. he, he addresses that even He further. goes beyond what they really ask. That's yeah. right. Yeah. He really, I mean, he just says things that are very different from what we've grown up believing and thinking. <laughs> really inverts the whole world's concept on love. You know, when we're told, well, if you don't love each other anymore, then just discard each other and try again. But that's not what the Bible says. It's really hard to, you know, read some of these things and realize, wow. This is so much different than what we're taught. Thoughts, comments. His disciples say, wow, if that's the case, it's better not to marry. And he didn't contradict that statement either. That's right. He said, sometimes it's true. You know, there are some reasons not to marry. So, I mean, he, he intends for us to take this seriously and realize, I mean, it's something to take, not to take lightly. Going back to what you said about being sure that you know the other person. Uh, I hear some people saying when they're, you know, maybe getting married too quickly or, you know, making what seems to be an unwise decision, they'll say, well, you know, look at this couple and this couple who've been married for a long time and they were in the same situation that we're in. Um, but they, what they're not seeing is the other 50 couples who did divorce and left. Right. So you're not seeing them. Um, you know, you're only seeing the successful cases. Um, so that's not a well, way to rationalize You know, I, I remember hearing a guy preach one time and say, you know, we marry for better or for worse, but we never think of what that better or worse might be. You know, I mean, it'd be good for us to think about that. He gave illustrations like, what happens if you get married and six months later, your spouse is in a car wreck and becomes a vegetable, essentially. So then you don't have anything. You don't have a person really to relate to. You don't have, you know, a physical relationship with them, etc. Well, I mean, that's really that could happen. It does happen sometimes, and and you have to think about that and decide. I'm making this commitment. I'm going to be with you, even if you don't provide anything back for me. That's love. This is good. We gotta go. Let's I understand. Go. And we're, we're taking part. But yes. Tinder started like 30 minutes ago. We're All right. In trouble. Well, thanks for coming. Thanks for having us. And just holler at me and we'll get together. All right, we will. And we'll stop here. Thank you, guys. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's, nice it's great to meet you. Hopefully, we can see each other again. Thanks. Yeah. See ya. Can we go to the garage? Yeah, either way, wherever.
It's not it open. May, it may not be open now. Brian, you want to open the door?